I was trying to be nice. <laughs> the guy's banging cows and horses. We don't have to be nice. <laughs> We like to call it Free Forum Friday here on our last episode of a very good week of shows here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. Um, again, I don't need to keep saying it. It's a great way to end the week. And uh, Chris goes on to our Twitter page. He finds things that people are talking about. He finds what most interests or what he thinks will interest both of us. We talk about it and move on to the uh, next thing that Chris finds interesting to talk about. It's been a great way, really has been a great way for me to finish the week. A uh, great relaxing way to do it. We have a little fun, we talk a little shit, and we move on. And, and uh, I, when Chris brought this in, it was a great thing, and it has continued to be a great thing. And I was very appreciative a couple of weeks ago to have uh, your buddy in here when we did the free form or the, the, uh, the, the draft, but I really did miss free form Friday, and it's we have it again, and let's get right to it. And having said all that, I hand the microphone over to the boss, the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so uh, DJ Blitz here at DJ Blitz WPG says, only in Winnipeg, and he has a video here. Some guy rollerblading through the snow while drinking a Slurpee and a Canadian truck tire rolls by. I'm sorry, a Canadian tire truck rolls by. Most Canadian thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh my God! I, I, you know, um, as I've mentioned a couple times uh, over the duration of this week's shows, it is a it is Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, and um, usually the snow holds off until at least after Canadian Thanksgiving. Well, this year here in Calgary, and I think in a lot of different parts of this great country, we've had significant snowfall already this year. We've had two good snow dumps already in Calgary. So it doesn't seem quite like Thanksgiving as much as it has in the past um, because it seems like we've gone right from our six days of summer to winter. And, and uh, But uh, yeah, a guy in shorts uh, going down with a Slurpee in the snow, that is very Canadian and uh, something I would do. I drink Slurpees like right here all the time. So um, again, uh, everybody that uh, here in the great country of Canada, and uh, Canadians living abroad, I wish all of you a very happy and safe Thanksgiving long weekend. Okay, uh, TJ Quinn at TJ Quinn ESPN breaking Angels employees uh, tell, uh, or actually, I guess just a single Angels employee tells the DEA about extensive opioid use with Tyler Skaggs that he told two team officials about Skaggs abuse and named other players as having used opioids as well. Oh, Jesus. Oh, come on. Um, this is uh, going back to the July tragedy. I think it was July where uh, Rangers pitcher Tyler, I think it was Tyler Skaggs, um, was found dead um, in his Dallas area hotel room as the Angels were on a road trip in the Dallas area playing the Texas Rangers. And there was some thought that there were drugs and alcohol involved in his death. I mean, how, how else do you describe a, a healthy, otherwise generally what we would think is a generally healthy 27-year-old pitcher on a Major League Baseball team, why would he show up dead in his hotel room? Um, so I, I'm really sad to see this. Um, you know, the, the Angels have had a, 
a real history of some tragedy in their organization with guys that are dying at a way too young time of life and and uh, I'm really I'm really feel unfortunate uh, this guy was supposedly an up-and-comer um, one of the bright young prospects in their organization had seen some hard times but seemingly had gotten his stuff together to a point where he was becoming a trusted member of the Angels bullpen and uh, unfortunately he died from these unfortunate circumstances in July and I'm really upset and 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 really disappointed to hear that uh, that these opioids had something to do with the death of a young man that obviously died way too early. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, so this is uh, regarding the Red River rivalry here. Oklahoma, Texas. Yeah. So uh, Brian Davis at B. Davis AAS. Uh, Every player from both teams has been issued an unsportsmanlike foul per the referee. Mike DeFee announces that if anyone gets uh, one to flag today, because that would be their second, they'll be disqualified. Well, at the beginning of the game, um, when they were warming up, um, of course, there was some, uh, you know, yakking and and, uh, asking how your mother's doing and all this other stuff. But there was some, uh, there was some... uh, you know, machismo, machismo, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of macho stuff going on at the beginning of the game. And of course, the referees don't come out until the game starts. So the referees are not out there during pregame warm-up. And this is when it happened. Kids, now most of these kids are from the state of Texas. Um, even the kids from Oklahoma, most of them come from the state of Texas. The state of Texas is really one of the true blue blood, blue blood uh, high school football states i mean just because of the enormity the size of texas but there are some i mean every program in the country has got one or two kids from the state of texas on your roster just because there are so many great football players out of the state of of texas so when these kids from oklahoma and texas match up especially at a place like the cotton bowl once a year the red river rivalry most of these kids have seen the other side they've seen they've they've competed against these kids in high school whether it be in the dallas area or the houston area or the austin texas area they've competed against each other they haven't liked each other probably since junior high school and when you you know with all the pomp and circumstance of a of a rivalry that is up there along and chris Chris talked about it in one of our earlier episodes, like the Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama and and the big game between Ohio State and Michigan. Um, This is one of the rivalries that is up there with those two aforementioned rivalries. And uh, when these guys get together, there is no love lost. Um, There have been divorces over the Ohio, uh, excuse me, the Oklahoma, Texas, you know, because you might have the husband that's a grad of Oklahoma and the wife is a grad from Texas. And of course, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that happens during the course of a week. And, and, and I do say, when I say week, I do mean a week. They start out like on Monday, getting ready for Saturday's game in regard to, you know, getting the hate on for each other. And, uh, very, very emotional, a lot of passionate fans. And every year, every year, there's something on the field, something in the stands, something in the parking lot. And the referees just, I think, did a brilliant job with this by just, you know what, let's let's nip this in the bud right now. And that's what they were doing here because there was some extracurricular activities that happened during the warmups. And that's when the referees decided to take control. And I'm glad that they did. Okay, that's fair. All right, uh, Nick Costas at The Costas would be totally fine without ever listening to Steve Kerr speak again. Um, I don't agree with that. Um, Steve Kerr, 
is first and foremost is an intellect. He is a very intelligent guy. He reminds me, you know, everybody always talks about Aaron Rodgers and how smart he is, and and he's close to being Mensa. Well, so is Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr um, had an opportunity to go study after his undergrad work and after he had graduated from the University of Arizona, he had been offered a scholarship to continue at uh, Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship. That's how smart Steve Kerr is. But Steve Kerr wanted to play basketball because he was obviously a hell of a basketball player and went on to play, you know, and win a championship with the Bulls and win a championship with the Spurs and, and, and multiple in both areas. But Steve Kerr, if you don't know, comes from an educated and a family that has devoted their life to education. His father, Malcolm, was once the president of American University in Beirut, Lebanon, and he was assassinated in 1983. And that's why you will always see Steve Kerr comment about government issues and educational issues, because obviously um, he's from a very educated family. I mean, his father, again, Malcolm, um, you know, a guy of his intellect, I would think would probably pick a better area. Um, I mean, an unbelievable opportunity to be the president of American University in Beirut, Lebanon. But I would think, <laughs> I certainly, and my wife is Lebanese, I would certainly pick a better place in the world to ply my trade. Let's just say that. But he wanted the challenge of trying to unite some solidarity and potentially you know, ease some tensions between the United States and Lebanon at the time, and the Middle East in general, uh, but I don't think you'll ever—I don't think you will ever hear Steve Kerr not talk about issues involving government or education because that's the way he was raised, and he is obviously like one of his coaching mentors, Greg Popovich. Popovich has been very critical of, of Mr. Of President Trump and his beliefs and his ideologies. And it just seems to be with Steve Kerr's background and then obviously his association with Greg Popovich, he's going to have things to say and you're never going to get the former shooting guard to shut his mouth. Well, I like that take. That's an int- I, I don't know. I didn't know most of that stuff. Uh, when I hear about how tough it is in Lebanon, though, it makes me think of the, the Canadian comedian Mike McDonald, who this was probably in the 90s that he did this bit, but... Uh, someone was talking, he, he said that someone was talking about what a tough job something was. And he said, that's not a tough job. A tough job would be like being a postman and a, uh, a letter carrier in Beirut, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it just showed him, he would just like look, look at an address and look around and not see anything. Well, and, in, 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 and I, don't, I don't mean this as disrespect, but it's a matter of fact. It would really be difficult to be a mailman in the Middle East because... You look for 123 Grand Avenue, and 123 Grand Avenue, the building that used to be there, might be blown up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I again, I, I'm not, I, I'm not putting a joke or a, or a funny spin on this. It's just the Middle East is a very volatile place, and that's all I'm saying. All right, well, let's lighten the mood a bit with this one. Busted coverage of busted coverage. New Jersey man, 31, calls local farmers to ask if he can bang their cows and horses, gets denied, and things escalate from there. <laughs> is, is that this, great? Is this I, in the state of Iowa? No, New Jersey. Let's, oh, yeah. Let, mm. let's, let's take a second before we destroy this guy. Let's talk about just the, uh, just the amazing amount of courtesy involved in this. <laughs> 
I appreciate this so much. Like, like anyone can just run into a field and bang a cow or horse. That doesn't take any sort of manners, thought. You don't even have to spring for planning. dinner. No, you can just be driving by and just impulsively in the spur. Of the, I'm just gonna bang this horse. Like you can just on the spur of the moment. I'm gonna bang a cow. I, I had, I had no plans tonight. I'm just driving. Oh, there's like, oh, why not? I'm lonely. Yeah, <laughs> this guy thought it out. Like, found the phone number. So how do you even find someone's phone number? I don't know. Call them up. Hey, just giving you a heads up. <laughs> your cow's looking pretty good. <laughs> it's been a while, yeah. and uh, your cow looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah. uh. The courtesy, though, <laughs> to call in advance. That's taking it a little bit to the extreme. It's almost like asking a father for the hand of his daughter in marriage. But this takes it to a new this level. Like, this is like asking the father if you can bang his daughter in the ass. Right. What That's what this is. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> the guy's banging cows and horses. We don't have to be nice. <laughs> That's the most respect shown in the state of New Jersey ever. <laughs> there you go. Ever. I knew you had something in you there. All ever. Right. Chris Christie couldn't do it that well. Oh, boy. That's funny. Well, geez. Speaking of banging a horse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, John is toast at John is toasted. That's, that's a fun one. And I appreciate this tweet so much. I can 100% identify with this exact situation. Trick-or-treating in the Midwest sucked shit growing up because I could never just be Spider-Man. I was always Spider-Man with a fucking jacket. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I oh, grew man. up in the Midwest and... and uh, by the time October 31st comes around, oh, there's snow man. on the ground. And yeah, how can you be Spider-Man or Batman or, or any of the, the, the Legion of Doom members when you have to have a, a coat on? You know, this is the one, one uh, really good thing about having grandparents in Florida and in Nevada is that every once in a while we take the kids down there to trick-or-treat because then they could be their fairy princesses or whatever that they wanted to be and they could get out and show what they wanted to be because you wouldn't be bundled up in a snowmobile suit to go out and collect candy. So, um, yeah, I mean, how can you be what you want to be when you got a snowmobile suit on? I agree with that mm -hmm. a thousand percent. All right. I wanted to send a shout out here to our, our buddy, uh, Walter Cherapinski, who Please. mentioned us on his nice, Absolutely. on his nice site. So Walter has just written his first book. So, uh, Walter Cherapinski at Walter football, it's called a safety and a field goal. And it's a collection of top five lists that he's made. So I would buy it anyway. Cause I, I really like the guy and I want to support him. Yep. But also I, uh, I think this would be really good for the show. Like I'd love to get some of his top five lists and then we can make our own top five with the same category I love and, it. Yep. and compare it to what he's come up with. So, uh, his book, a safety and a field goal is available on Amazon and, uh, yeah, anyway, just, uh, just, yeah, top five lists, I guess. Let's see what it, I don't have the list themselves here, but uh, he's got the greatest NFL draft busts of all time, craziest stories no one's heard of regarding football players, funniest fantasy football moments, uh, other stuff like that. Yeah, all right, so, let's, let's, let's do that real quick. NFL draft busts, well, top five. Well, uh, Ryan, Jamarcus, Leaf. Uh, Ryan Leaf. Coming, Ryan Leaf is and, one. And Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell, there you go. The thing is, you uh, even though... I guess you probably give Leaf number one because he's the one that comes to mind. But Jamarcus Russell was a number one pick where Leaf was number two. Correct. But I would always put Leaf on there just Leaf because the... just because he did time in prison. 
Well, but Ryan Leaf is the one you... You know what it is? And, and, and this isn't even his fault, but I guess if Peyton Manning didn't exist, he would have gone number one. True. But, I mean, it's because there was this two-headed race, and even though people thought it was going to be Peyton Manning going number one, there were some teams that might have taken Leaf number one, and there, were, there was a chance that they could have taken Leaf number one. And, uh, you know, when you get when you get that stark difference there, when you see what Peyton Manning did yeah. compared to you, it's like, holy moly, that well, wasn't even close. Um, I, I, gotta, I, I have to admit that last week I heard Ryan Leaf. Remember, I was giving him some shit one day that he had been hired as ESPN as a game, as a game analyst, college game analyst. He did the Kent State-Wisconsin game last week. And uh, I've got to be fair. I've got to be fair. I did not think that this guy, because I, again, on my trips down to Las Vegas, you drive through, uh, what's the one, uh, Great Falls, Montana, which is just a shithole. I'm sorry. For the 19 people that live in Great Falls, Montana. It sounds Montana, good. Like, there must be, are there some nice waterfalls there? Nope. What? Nope. Why is it called Great Falls? I, I don't know. Um I, I've... You know, I haven't done much camping, but there was this place with log cabins that we, I stayed with some friends when I was 20 years old. Sure. And uh, I don't remember where we were, but we were in Montana for sure. And wherever we were was not Great Falls, but we were somewhere really nice. Well, that might have been, might have been Whitefish. Well, maybe, but like there were mountains and like this lake. Whitefish, Montana is beautiful. Yeah, there, was we some, were somewhere beautiful. White, Whitefish, Montana has some beautiful uh skiing in the winter obviously because they're they're in the in the in the rocky mountains they've got some unbelievable skiing in the winter time but some unbelievable golf courses in the summertime in whitefish montana now that is a a big vacation spot for a lot of albertans to go down to whitefish but this part of montana great falls is a shithole it's you know the drive from here to edmonton is just like this the whole time you know it's just flat that's what it is all the way down to Great Falls. It doesn't get pretty until you get on the south side of Great Falls and you get into those mountains in, in Montana. There must be some waterfalls near there or something. Well, but again, it's such a shithole that you don't really, you know, you, you just, you're just you just on I-15 and you just want to get out, right? Because it sounds nice. It does, but it's not. Let me tell you. it's it's And that's where this guy is from. But in fairness, um, I thought he was fair with his commentary and with his analysis he obviously did his study and his homework, so I was impressed by that. So where I wanted to not like him, I have to admit, he did a good job. He was fair, um, made some good points, um, did not go on and on and on. And uh, I think overall, um, he's got, you know, he's not the best, but you know what? I thought I, I got to give him credit. He was better than I thought he would be. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I, uh, that's something we can really make a list. I I'm, that's not my area because again, I wasn't really paying attention till the, uh, and to the end, uh, to the NFL until this century and, uh, really into it until the last few years, really. But, uh, off the top of my head, Kijana Carter would come to mind. Kijana 19- Carter, that's a great one. Kijana Carter comes first overall pick. Yeah, um, Heisman. I believe he won the Heisman or was runner up in the Heisman. His draft year out of Penn State, he was supposed to be the second coming of, of sliced bread. Um, Cincinnati Bengals, unfortunately, he ends up there and gets hurt his very first year, and he was pfft, the rest of the way. Um, I'm just trying to think about who else. I mean, you've got to, any list that has NFL bust on it. You've got to include Tony Mandrich. Um, remember, uh, he was part of the celebrated draft class of 1989 where number one is Aikman. 
Number three was Barry Sanders. Number four was some superstar. Number five was some superstar. But who got the second pick in that year's draft? The Green Bay Packers. And they take Tony Mandrich, and he was a bum. That was that uh, crazy guy, or he was like a... Oh, yeah, he was, he was nuts. He was, like he was a, big on steroids. And, yeah, and yeah. yeah, this is this guy made the cover of Sports Illustrated as, as a senior at Michigan State University. He's Canadian, by the way, from the Toronto, from the Toronto area. I'm just trying to deflect some of the blame. But anyway, um, Tony Mandrich was considered at that time in 1989 to be one of the, not, not just one of, potentially the best offensive tackle prospect to come out of the college ranks in the history of the NFL. And again, you're in a, you're in a draft class that you've got Aikman at one. you got Barry Sanders. Yeah, the running back from Detroit was three. So the Packers... Didn't get a chance to take Aikman, but they could have taken Barry Sanders oh, at three. Oh. Could have taken Barry Sanders at two. Didn't. Could, and there was, it was a very, I mean, look it up someday. You'll see it. I, it was five, like the first five guys, dude, four of them were Hall of Famers. And then there was Tony Mandrich at number two. And he washed out. What year was that? 1989. Oh, so they could have had like Favre and Sanders. They could have had potentially. I mean, Favre at that time in '89 was still at um, was still yeah, but at eventually. Southern. But eventually, you could have had Brett Favre and Barry Sanders in the same backfield. Jeez, they would have won ten Super Bowls. Uh, okay. Anyway, let's uh, keep going because I know we're up against the clock a little bit here. Uh, I did have another tweet from Walter that I wanted to say, and this is an extremely sarcastic tweet. But I was thinking the exact same thing watching this game on Thursday night here. Yep. Brilliant move by Pat Shermer to punt on a fourth and two while down two touchdowns with seven minutes remaining. Most coaches would go for it, but that's what separates Shermer from the other elite coaches. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree with that. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, there are some guys, and I've said this, and you, you can, you, you've heard this. You've been sidelines, and you've been at my side and with me now for three years. There are some guys that should be offensive and defensive coordinators, i.e., Vic Fangio i.e. Pat Shermer. There are some guys that should be offensive and defensive coordinators. And then there are some guys that can do the head coaching thing. People sometimes don't realize the, all the responsibilities of being a head coach in the National Football League or at any professional level and all the responsibilities that are not even a, 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 an inch associated with game preparation. It's dealing with the media. It's dealing with the owner. It's dealing with the general manager. There are so many extracurricular things. There are some guys, and I and I, I got to put Fangio in this. With like you, Fangio looks confused as the head man. He's never been the head man. He's sixty-two years old. He's had a celebrated NFL career, but it's always been as a defensive coordinator, getting into the trenches with guys, getting a putting a game plan together. You know, all of that is part of. But you're just teaching. That's the thing. You're teaching, you're coordinating, you're orchestrating, you're doing a lot of things. Whereas the head coach, and Matt LaFleur will tell you this as the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, his responsibilities from the last number of years as a position coach and then moving on to uh, offensive coordinator in both Los Angeles and Tennessee, then to go to head coach, it's a 180-degree change, folks. And for the people that aren't happy with the start of Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, Think about it this way. <clears throat> He's only going to get better. And if we make it through, you know, the first, I call the, the NFL season four quarters. The first four games, 
the next four games, the third four games, the last four games. The first quarter, the Packers were 4-0. And I think he's making some good adjustments. But I do need to make one thing, and this is, and I'm kind of going off topic here a little bit, but we've always been talking on on this program about the Washington Redskins and the and the and the failures of the Washington Redskins. I was thinking about this the other day. At one time in Washington, under Jay Gruden, the offensive coordinator was Kyle Shanahan. The quarterback coach was Sean McVay, and an offensive assistant was Matt LaFleur. All three of them at one time on the staff of the Washington Redskins. And they didn't retain any of those three. And they stood forward and stood behind Jay Gruden and look what it's got to them. Look what it's got them. Wow. But just think about that. You've got three of the more innovative minds right now in the National Football League, and especially, obviously, in regard to Coach McVay and Coach Shanahan. But you've got, a, I think, a rising star in Lafleur, And at one time, all three of those individuals were on the Washington Redskins coaching staff. Yeah, and now they're the head coach of the iconic franchises, the Rams and the Niners and the Packers. That's, right. Wow. And think about it. Devastating. And think about it this way. I believe if you have a healthy Todd Gurley, the Los Angeles Rams win the Super Bowl last year. Think about this. As we start the first five weeks of this National Football League season, Shanahan's 5-0, and 4-0. We hadn't lost yet this year. Lafleur is 4-1, and and the Rams are 3-2. and I think Daniel Schneider would take any of those records right now over what he's got in Washington. Yeah, devastating. It's tough. It's, it takes a long time to recover from that kind of no question. Those kinds of mistakes. No question. All right. The Onion at the Onion. Proposed legislation would require airline seats to meet federal ass standards. <laughs> and uh, the whole story is great. I read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll just read the last couple of sentences. This new law will ensure that every fanny, tukus, and badonkadonk within the scope of these guidelines gets appropriate kush for the tush. Nelson added that the proposal would also allow airlines to require passengers to purchase an additional seat if the junk in their trunk exceeds the federal limit. <laughs> and it's, it's awesome because the whole story just works in these sayings into like an official sounding government press release. It's brilliant anyway. <laughs> I have no comment know, there. Okay. That's just funny as hell. I love the That's just funny as federal hell. Federal ass standards. Federal ass standards. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Uh, okay. Uh, I just wanted to point this out here. This was nice. So uh, Lindsay Theory at Lindsay Theory has a picture of Todd Gurley here. Uh, he's wearing a shirt that says NCAA, oh God. and it stands for, in his mind, not concerned about athletes. I, I like that. I like ours, the National Communists Against Athletes. Um, I still believe that these general, excuse me, these athletic directors, directors of athletics for these big-time Power 5 colleges that are bitching about this pay-for-play uh, proposal that has been passed in California and will be enacted into law in the year 2023, I still say that if these guys would have got off their collective fat asses and had addressed this years ago, we would have had this problem taken care of and you never would have heard of Governor Newsom in California signing this into law. And you know, it's funny, and I heard you say that this this week on my walks as I'm listening to Unscripted and you're again, you're a thousand percent right. It's really sad when the government stands up and does something right. Amazing. How they, and, wow. you know, instead of these guys bitching about it, they should be applauding the, the California government for doing something that they should have done years ago. Wow. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like when you say that. Uh, okay, before I say the last tweet here, I just want to say there were uh, last week during the Dolphins bye week, there was all sorts of versions of this, but I'm just looking at one here that shows the final score bye week 72, <laughs> Dolphins 13. Well, they scored. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. good. Well, there's, I think there were some where they didn't, but everyone had the bye week beating the Dolphins. It was, uh, everyone had a lot of fun with that. I do have, I'm sorry, but I do have to make mention. Um, I was thinking really hard about this this week in regard to a comment that we both made um, in regard to a draft lottery coming up for the National Football League. Yeah, why wouldn't they? And I think they, now you see the Dolphins obviously doing it. I think you're going to see the same thing happening here soon in Cincinnati. Um, I think you're, you're going to see it happen in, in Washington as well. I think there needs to be a draft lottery sooner rather than later with the NFL because. Again, it just seems to me there are too many teams that are just already planning for the 2020 draft uh, next April in whatever city it's in. But yeah. I just think there are guys that are already tanking and in, in, in preparation and in study for next April's NFL draft. Yeah, I think it's time for a lottery in the NFL for sure. Uh, oh, and yeah, and uh, just before I get to that final uh, tweet as well. Uh, on that note, spread investor at spread investor. If you're betting the Redskins Dolphins game next Sunday, you, you have to stop and ask yourself some questions. <laughs> yeah, you namely do. Namely, because you're a total degenerate. <laughs> yeah, um, you need to get a life. Which makes it even crazier about all the money coming on Miami plus three and a half. Right, yeah. Uh, and also, I had, a, I had some quick trivia for you. So, 103 years ago today, this was five days ago, Georgia Tech beat Cumberland uh, in the most lopsided game in college football history. So this was October 7th, 1916. Do you remember the score? Not suggesting you were live then. I'm saying... No, like, I, I, I get yeah. that. I, I get that. I feel like I'm that old. I think it was... Um, I think they made it into triple digits, actually. It um, was 222 to nothing. Yeah, I, I say. I, I think it, it made it into, into, triple, into triple numbers. Cumberland had 15 turnovers. Yeah, I was going to say 200 to nothing. But. <laughs> Georgia Tech had 978 rushing yards. <laughs> Come on. Couldn't get the extra 22 there? Anyway, anyway. Uh, you missed the PAT for 223 or oh what? Jesus, anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right, last one. Uh, busted coverage, busted coverage. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's see. You know, when it starts with Florida Man, you know it's not going to go well. No. Nope. Okay. <clears throat> Florida Man, science teacher, takes meth and cocaine before school, takes a Xanax at lunch, passes out at Burger King, cops take him to the hospital, he flashes the, nerf, he flashes the nurse, beats off, pisses on himself, crawls on the floor, and superintendent says he's not fired. <laughs> Tim Tebow was in town, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a lot There's there. There's a lot there. Yeah. Um, you know... I know, first and foremost, years ago, you may not want to believe this, but my degree um, is an English major, which is enough to, you know, but I also had a minor in education. My plan was to be a high school teacher and then ultimately follow in my father's footsteps as a coach. That was the plan at one time. Um, obviously I won't bore you with all the, with all the, the intangibles, but I do remember that, uh, I had an incident with an eighth grade girl and no, I didn't touch her or do anything silly like that. I'm not that big of a weirdo, but I just knew after this incident, and this was a verbal confrontation with a 13 year old girl when you're doing your, your, uh, practicum, um, here in Calgary, I did that years ago, um, I just knew that I wasn't going to be a teacher because I was going to be more of a, you know, 
uh, lit, not literally, but I was going to be more of a hands-on. I was going to, I was going to be, <laughs> you know, I was going to be kind of, you know, I, I wanted to be the cool teacher. I wanted to be like my father. My father had the respect as a teacher because he treated them as individuals, not as numbers. And that's one of the things that I learned from my father in regard to teaching. Kids wanted to go to his class because he got them involved. And that's kind of the way that I poor th- kind of thought that I would be as a teacher. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. But I've got to give credit to teachers. It's an, it's a no-win situation in this day, especially as a male teacher. Sure. Um, you are going to be looked at as a pervert. You're going to be looked at as this, that, and the other thing. And on top of it all, they pay shit. So yeah. I have a lot of respect for teachers. Both of my parents were teachers, and they were very good at it. They never got wealthy off of it, but I have a lot of respect for teachers. I think it's a it's an unwinnable position that they get put into in this day and age with all the kids and the cell phones and everything. And and like in my situation with this eighth grade girl in a local junior high here in Calgary many, many, many years ago, it became because of something that I said. She said that I was disrespecting her, and ultimately she got on the phone with her daddy, who was a big-time lawyer here in Calgary, and that was the end of Mikey's teaching career. So... If it was going to be that way, that was going to be the end. Can you imagine if I would have gone on and actually got my own classroom? I'm afraid of what would have happened. And that's why we decided that teaching probably wasn't going to be the right avenue for me. Because, again, I was going to be more hands-on. I was going to teach them things. and But there's so much more that you can teach a kid, I believe, in the classroom than just what's in the books. You can teach them about responsibility. You can make them accountable for things. And I think there's a lot of life lessons that I could have taught these young people that I never really got the opportunity because I was afraid of something bad happening. And I'm thankful. I mean, I would have loved to have been a football coach. I think I would have been good at it. But ultimately, the risk-reward factor was way too much. And as a male in a female-dominated society now, I think that I would have been in big trouble and Let's just avoid that and move on. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, and uh, one last thing, because this is right up your alley. So uh, Wisconsin football at Badger football touched, and this would be on the season, touchdowns allowed by Wisconsin's D4, touchdowns scored by Wisconsin's D4. And just right now with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, Wisconsin is hanging on to a narrow lead over Michigan State, 38-0. Oh, Jesus. I'm telling you, folks, um, there's something special going on at Wisconsin, and um, I, I, don't, I won't go on about it forever and ever, but I'm telling you right now, people that need a running back, yeah. Jonathan Taylor, start looking at this young man's tape. He's not going to win the Heisman because you've got too many quarterbacks there, and it's become a quarterback-driven league. The, the college football has become a, a quarterback-driven league, as, as has the National Football League. But this young man, Jonathan Taylor, Um, first of all, this young man had two scholarship, three scholarship offers, excuse me, when he left his high school in New Jersey, he had one from Wisconsin, one from Rutgers and one from Yale. And the reason is, is because this young man is unbelievably talented in between his ears. He's Mm. got, he's got a 4.0 grade point average. He can put a full sentence together. He is unbelievable to listen to. Um, he takes magnificent uh, care of his body. He's a track athlete in, in the offseason from football. Um, he is a world-class athlete. He's a world-class young man. Um, he's smart enough to not put your organization in trouble with doing stupid things. 
And I'm telling you, folks, whatever you listen to or don't listen to, it comes out of my mouth anyway. When you listen to something that comes out of Chris's mouth, that's 99% intelligence. With me, it's mostly a lot of hot air and opinion, but I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart. For one of the 32 teams out there in National Football League, this kid, I believe, will be available in the April draft because what else is there for him to accomplish at the collegiate level anymore? But I'm telling you, folks, if you need a running back, you could do a hell of a lot worse out there than drafting Jonathan Taylor from the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, I was talking to our buddy Sean Nichols the other day. And by the way, I, I, you know, I have to say, that's one of my favorite episodes to listen to. I really enjoyed having him on the show and us doing the draft together. I've, I've enjoyed listening to that episode. And he came up to me the other day and he said, you don't really follow college football that much, do you? And I said, well, not really, but a little bit. And he said, uh, oh, okay, because I always like to scout college football for guys that are going to come up and they're going to be guys you can get late in a fantasy football draft. And uh, so I said, are you talking about Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin? And he said, yes, actually, like that's because that's who he's been watching. And so uh, he's uh, he's eagerly looking forward to him being draftable is he going to be in the next nfl draft i think he will be he has one year of eligibility left he's technically only a junior so he still has one year but again as i mentioned what does this young man have left to accomplish at the university of wisconsin depending on what they do to finish out this season wisconsin will improve their record to six and oh their defense has been unpenetrable um i mean everything is coming down now with this ass whooping today 38 nothing in the fourth quarter um, they've kicked Michigan's ass already this year. They're kicking Michigan State's ass right now. I'm very interested to see if there is one team, if there is one team in the Big Ten right now, and I'm not even being a homer. Just look at the numbers, folks. If there's one team right now that can give Ohio State a run with the way that they play the ball and the way that they control the pace of play, Wisconsin will sit there and grind and grind and grind. And if you can keep Ohio State's offense off the field with long, time-consuming drives, Wisconsin is a team that potentially could give Ohio State a game. There is not another team in the Big Ten, not another team in the Big Ten, that can play with Ohio State potentially like Wisconsin can. Wisconsin-Ohio State on October 26th. I hope that we can get together and watch it because I think it's going to be a hell of a cool. football game. Sure. We've got to run on this uh, 407th episode of Unscripted. We thank you all for participating. And again, a real quick shout-out. Happy Thanksgiving to all Canadians, both here and abroad. Uh, have a safe and great Thanksgiving long weekend. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.